Have you ever felt like you were in an impossible situation? That your back was against the wall? That you were between a rock and a hard place? Now let me go a step further. Have you ever felt that way simply because you were walking in obedience to God? The reason you were between that rock and that hard place is because you were trying to do exactly what God told you to do. As you read through the Bible, you discover men and women who found themselves in that kind of impossible situation over and over again, and yet they discovered victory because God showed up and God showed off. But there is no story in the Bible that is any more amazing when it comes to impossible situations and God showing up than the story we're going to focus on this morning. And that's the story of the miracle at the Red Sea. This story is so etched in the history of Israel that Nehemiah, David, and Isaiah all looked back at this story and wrote about this story. Now, if you haven't been here for, for several weeks, let me just catch you up if I can. God's people, the Israelites, had gotten comfortable in Egypt, which was not their home. And because of that, they had become slaves. And they lived as slaves for 400 plus years. But God, through a series of plagues that he brought upon the Egyptians, delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, told God's people that they could go, that they could leave Egypt. As a matter of fact, he not only told them they could go, he commanded them to go. And God had such favor on his people, the Israelites, that as they left Egypt, the people of Egypt showered them with gifts, with clothes, and with silver, and with gold. And as they left, the Bible says they left as an army ready for battle. They were bold. They were confident. They were even defiant. But God knew that even though that's the way they acted, they were not ready for battle. They were not ready for a fight. And so instead of God leading them to the promised land, the shortest route, which would be through the land of the Philistines where they would have to fight, God led them through the wilderness to the Red Sea. And as God led them, he led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Just think about that for just a moment. Here is this cloud, this cylindrical-looking tornado-like thing that is going before them, leading them as they walk. And then during at night, that cloud turns into a fire that stretches from the ground up into the clouds, and that fire leads them at night. Wherever they go, that cloud or that fire is before them. I imagine as they camped that very first night, there was celebration, there was dancing, there was shouting, because this was the very first night that they had lived as free people. Remember, they had been slaves for hundreds of years. And the people that were leaving Egypt had never experienced freedom. And so here they were, 
going on their way to the promised land led by God. But after a short time, everything changed. Pharaoh changed his mind. Pharaoh decided that, that it was a mistake to let the Israelites go. And so he assembled his army, and off he went in pursuit of the Israelites. When he caught up with them, the Bible says that the Israelites panicked. Now remember, when they left Egypt, they left Egypt bold, confident, defiant, cocky, like an army. But now that the army of Egypt is chasing after them, they panic. This is what the Bible says, that the people said. Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? It would have been better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. They had the Egyptian army behind them. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They were caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. If they turned and they fought, they would die. If they marched into the Red Sea, they would drown. They were in a hopeless situation. But Moses said, don't be afraid. Be still. God is going to fight for us. And that pillar of fire that had led them to the Red Sea now moved from in front of them to behind them. And that pillar of cloud kept the Egyptian army from attacking the Israelites. And then Moses raised up his staff. He held it over the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, God began to move. The wind began to blow. And the word for wind here is the same word that is translated spirit. The Spirit of God began to blow upon the Red Sea. And it blew all night. And the waters began to part. And we are told that a wall of water began to form on both sides. And the Israelites marched through on dry ground. Now, as the Egyptians watched what was going on, they began to pursue the Israelites. But as they got into the Red Sea, traveling on dry ground, all of a sudden God began to move. Their chariots began to malfunction. The Egyptians began to panic. They said, this is certainly God fighting for his people. They tried to turn around, but they couldn't. All of a sudden, the waters, those high walls of water, began to collapse on them. And we are told that every Egyptian, every chariot, every horse that had gone into the Red Sea was covered and died. And here were the Israelites on the other side, watching all of this. And as the morning came, they began to see all these Egyptian bodies coming on to shore. And they realized, perhaps for the very first time, that their God was the God. And the Bible says that Moses and all of the people began to praise God. And this story is an amazing story. 
It's a miraculous story. And truth be known, there are many people that have a hard time believing this story because it is so miraculous. I mean, God parting the Red Sea, mouths of water on both sides, and the people walking through on dry ground. How can that be? I heard about one little boy who his mother made him go to Sunday school, to to Bible school, and he didn't want to go, but he defiantly went. And that morning, his mother knew that the lesson was on Moses and the Red Sea. And so after Sunday school, she asked her son, son, what did y'all study in Sunday school? The little boy was quiet for a second. He said, well, we we studied the story of Moses and the Red Sea, and, and Moses and, and the Israelites were called at the Red Sea, but Moses called the engineers together. And the engineers built this pontoon bridge across the Red Sea. And all of the Israelites marched across the Red Sea. And when the Egyptians began to come after them on that pontoon bridge, Moses called in an airstrike. And he hit the pontoon bridge, and all the Egyptians sank. And his mom said, son, you know your teacher didn't tell you that. And he said, yeah, but if I told you what she said, you would never believe me. (laughs) And that's how a lot of people are when it comes to this story of the miracle of the Red Sea. There are many pastors, there are many theologians that, that don't believe this story. As a matter of fact, many say that it wasn't the Red Sea they crossed, it was the Reed Sea. And to be honest, this Hebrew word that is translated red here, it literally means reed or papyrus. And so you need to understand that in every body of water around Egypt, there were reeds, there was papaya growing up all around it. And throughout God's Word, throughout the Bible, this word Red Sea is used to describe a variety of bodies of water. The Suez Canal, which we know of today, the the Gulf of Aqaba that we know of today, the Gulf of Suez, all of these go into the Red Sea or in a part of the Red Sea. And and so to say that that they didn't cross the Red Sea is ludicrous. But this one liberal theologian one time was preaching in this rather lively church, and and he didn't believe in miracles. And so he was talking about the Red Sea, and, and as he was talking about the Red Sea, somebody in the church shouted, praise the Lord. God led all of his children through that high water to, to, to safety. And this man was a little taken back by that because he didn't believe in miracles. And he said, well, I want you to know that, that Moses didn't really take the children of Israel through this high water. He took them through this marshy land, and the water was only about six inches deep. And, and they walked through the water. And, and then when the chariots of Egypt kind of tried to chase after them, the, the wheels got caught in the mud and couldn't come up. And that same guy said, praise the Lord. God is so good. He drowned all those Egyptians in six inches of water. Here's what you need to understand. Re- regardless of where you believe this miracle happened, What the Bible says very clearly is that there were walls of water on both sides. The Bible says very clearly that every Egyptian that entered into the sea drowned. God did a miracle that day. And by the way, if we believe that our God is the God who created heaven and earth out of nothing, 
our God is the creator God, then why do we have a problem with God parting the Red Sea? I mean, if God can create everything out of nothing, then God certainly can cause the waters to part. And so God, our God, can do anything. But what is it that we need to learn from this story? Well, there are three truths that I want you to learn, and then there's some application that I want you to gain from it. Here's truth number one. God will lead and guide his people. Now, if your Bible is open, I want you to turn with me to Exodus 13, verse 17. Listen to what it says here, beginning in verse 17. When Pharaoh finally led, let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. The Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Now, some of you are probably saying, I wish I had a pillar of cloud. I wish I had a pillar of fire guiding me, leading me, directing me. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to have a fire hover over the person that you're supposed to marry? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Wow, that's the person I'm supposed to marry. God's fire led me to them. Or wouldn't it be nice to have a cloud that came right upon that job that God wants you to take as your career? Wouldn't that be good? And that's what many of us say. We say, I would like for God to be as clear today as he was then. And I would say to you this morning, are you kidding me? You see, we need to realize that as followers of Jesus, we have something far better. In the Old Testament, God was with his people. The Bible makes that clear. His spirit was with his people. And there were a few exceptions where God's spirit would come into a person. But in the Old Testament, God's spirit did not inhabit his people for the most part. But in the New Testament, we are told that at Pentecost, God's spirit came upon his people to live in them, to guide them, and to direct them. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when, when he was preparing them for his death. He said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. Did you get that? He lives with you now and later will be in you. And that later occurred at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came into the lives of each believer. And the Bible makes it clear that now when you and I become followers of Jesus, when we humble ourselves before God, His Holy Spirit comes to live in us. The Bible calls it 
the new birth, being born again, God's spirit giving birth to our spirit. God makes us a brand new person. And when God's spirit comes to live in us, he guides us, he directs us, he leads us, he warns us, he fills us with his attributes. God's spirit lives in us. The Bible makes it clear that if we do not have the Spirit of God, we do not belong to God. And and so for you who are saying today, man, I wish God spoke as clearly today as he did back then. I wish that we had a cloud that would hover over the direction we're to go or a fire that would lead us in the direction we're to go. We have something better. We have God's Spirit in us, leading us, guiding us, directing us if we'll only listen and follow. But we not only have God's Spirit, we have God's Word. You see, the Bible makes it clear that God's Spirit gave us a perfect Word. We are told that holy men of God spoke as they were moved, led by the Spirit. And so what that's telling us is is we need to quit listening to the world. And we need to start listening to God's Word. The reason we are having the problems that we have today is because instead of listening to God's Word, we are listening to the world. And the world will always lead us astray. God leads His people. Second truth, God's glory will be seen by His people and by His enemies. God's glory will be seen. I want you to listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pehirath, between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal-Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. Later on in verses 17 and 18, it says this, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Now we see Pharaoh's heart hardened again. And as we've read this story, beginning with the plagues, we have seen Pharaoh's heart becoming hard. It it begins with, with Pharaoh hardening his heart. And then after Pharaoh hardens his heart time and time again, we begin to read that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And there are some of us that have a problem with that, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And there are two things I think we need to understand. First, God never hardened Pharaoh's heart until Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Did you hear me? You cannot read this passage and be true to Scripture without understanding that God did nothing to Pharaoh's heart until Pharaoh had already chosen 
to harden his heart. And then the Bible tells us that God hardened his heart even more so that he would receive glory from what was about to happen. Second, God will harden a person's heart so that his glory may be seen by more people. Did you hear what I just said? If a person hardens their heart before God, God will harden their heart even more so his glory will be shown throughout the world. He did that to Pharaoh. He did that to the leaders. They hardened their heart before God. They refused to, to turn to God. They refused to repent. They refused to submit to the Lord God. And eventually God said, okay, I am going to harden your heart, and I am going to receive glory from what I'm about to do. And the truth of the matter is, through this terrible event, all of Egypt and all of the world knew that the God of Israel was a powerful God, was the one true God. And even though we see people fighting against God's people, they were always afraid because they had heard what their God had done to the people of Egypt, to the gods of Egypt. God will always receive glory. Sometimes God receives glory in a person's life through his just judgment. There are other times that God receives glory in a person's life through his divine mercy and grace. But understand, in the end, God always receives glory. No one is ever going to be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't have a chance. I didn't have a shot. If, if I would have had the opportunity, I would have responded to you. I would have accepted you. No, every person who has rejected God is going to stand before God, and they will realize that our God is a just God at the same time. Every person who has experienced salvation is going to stand before God, and they're going to realize they didn't deserve what they've got. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve God's mercy. You and I, listen to me, we deserve God's wrath. We have rebelled against the creator of the universe. We have chosen to sit ourselves on the throne of our life saying that we know better than God, and yet we think that God owes us something. God owes us nothing but his wrath and his judgment. It is only his mercy and his grace that it is displayed through Jesus that you and I have any hope. Oh, dear friend, listen. One day, God will be glorified in your life. He's going to be glorified through his judgment that you will know is just, or he will be glorified through his grace that you realize you do not deserve. Oh, I beg you, listen, I plead with you, let God be glorified through his grace. Humble yourself before God. Accept his mercy. Realize that he is God and you are not. Because if you are here this morning and you are hardening your heart, you are in a dangerous place. Because, oh dear friend, you can harden your heart to the point 
where God will say, I'll let you have what you want. I'll give it to you. You can have it, but you're not going to like it. You see, God is going to receive glory through his people and through his enemies. Here's the third thing. God will protect and fight for his people. And I just really want to kind of read this passage because it doesn't need a lot of commentary here. But beginning in verses 13 and 14, it says, But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see, you will never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then it says in verse 19, Then the angel of God who had been leading the people of Israel moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of fire or cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and the Israelites' camp. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry ground. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And all the Israelites had reached the other side. The Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sea began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the waters rushed back and, and, and into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. This is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. The people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians. They were in awe. They were filled with awe. The word literally means they were in fear before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Listen, the battle belongs to the Lord. As they were on the other side of the seashore watching the bodies of the Egyptians wash up on shore. They knew they had not fought for a moment. They knew they had not raised a single sword. They knew they had not done anything but follow God. The Lord fights for us. And one of the things this tells us is when it comes to our salvation, it's not up to us. It's up to God. All we have to do is, in faith, do what God tells us to do. What does God tell us to do about salvation? He tells us to place our trust in Jesus, the one who died on the cross. We place our faith in Jesus. Jesus will do the work 
for us. So what is the application? What do we need to do? Three things. First of all, don't be afraid. This passage says, fear not, don't be afraid. That phrase, fear not, don't be afraid, is found over 300 times in Scripture. Why do you think we are told time and time and time and time and time again to not be afraid? I think the reason we are told that is because we have a tendency to be afraid. Isn't that right? These people were overwhelmed by their fears. They were paralyzed by their fears. They were willing to settle back into slavery rather than walk in obedience to God. And we too walk in fear. The fear of change, the fear of the unknown, the fear of all kinds of things. And we allow our fear to keep us in chains and we settle into a life of slavery. And yet God says, fear not. Understand, you're never going to dispel fear until you give in to God. You're either going to give in to your fear or you're going to give in to God. Give in to God. Now I want you to notice something here. This is interesting. Before they went into the Red Sea, they feared the Egyptians. After they exited the Red Sea, they feared God. Did you know the Bible tells us, just as it tells us to fear not, it tells us over and over again to fear God? We need to understand today that there is a level of fear that we need to have toward God. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is the all-powerful God. We don't take him lightly. We don't treat him like our best friend. We don't treat him like some doting grandfather. He is the Lord most high and though he is our heavenly father when we come into his presence we come before him kneeling in submission because he is God Moses says fear not then he says stand still uh, that's something that each and every one of us in this room need to hear today because as Americans we are the kind of people that feel like we can do it let me handle it. Let me take care of it. And yet we need to understand today that there are some things that we cannot do. There are times in our life that we need to stand still and let God work. You know, it's amazing to me, and, and I know that you're more mature than I am in this, but, but I, I like to, to watch some of the things that go on in social media. Now, I know you don't do that, but, but I like to watch some of these things that go on in social media. And one of the things that I like to watch that goes on in social media is these arguments, these fights that go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's crazy. And as I read these things at times, I think to myself, sometimes we need to just sit back and not respond but let God fight the battle for us. You see, fear not, stand still, and then notice what he says, we need to get moving. 
We need to stand still at a time. But then there's a point that we need to get moving. In chapter 14, verse 15, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because Moses had just said, Fear not, stand still, the Lord will fight for you, stay calm. He raises his his staff over the water, the water begins to move, and God says to Moses, why are you still crying out to me? Get moving! What he's saying there, and listen, this is important, there is a time for us to stand still and talk to God, we pray But then there is a time where God says, okay, there's enough praying. Now we need to get moving, and we need to do what God has told us to do. There are times that we don't need to pray anymore about what God wants us to do. We just need to do it. And that's what they did. They got busy doing what God told them to do, going through the Red Sea. God brought them to victory, and I want you to notice the overflow. Here they are on the other side of the Red Sea, all these dead Egyptians. Chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then Moses Moses and the people of Israel, and and the, the verse literally means all the people sang this song to the Lord. And then as we read chapter 15, we read this song that the people began to sing. And we read about Miriam and and all of the women picking up their tambourines and they were dancing. And, And you may wonder, well, why weren't the men dancing? The reason is because they didn't have rhythm. I mean, it, God would have said, stop it. Just stop it. I mean, it's kind of like, you know that, you know that dance, the floss? Saying, dance the floss. I've learned the floss. I'm not going to do it for you. It'd shock you. It'd mesmerize you. But I've learned the floss. Got to do it in slow motion to do it. But I've learned it. But, but see... What happened is when God moved, the natural result was to praise God. The natural result was to sing to God. I want you to fill in this blank. When we experience God's power in our lives, we will praise Him with our lips. I want you to to write that down. I mean, look at me. If you're not willing to sing praises to God, something's wrong. And then you say, I don't like that song. Well, if the song lifts up Jesus, what's not to like? I mean, I can sing rap music to Jesus. Not good, but I can do it. I can enjoy Handel's Messiah. I can enjoy the hymns. I can enjoy the contemporary. I can enjoy it all as long as it lifts up Jesus. And we as God's people who have experienced God's grace and God's power in our life, we should be the... We should, we should be the people who should be singing because we have something to celebrate. So let me encourage you, when we come together on Sunday mornings, let's make a joyful noise to the Lord because He's changed us. We've experienced His power. Because we've experienced His power in our lives, our lips want to sing praises unto His name. And so what, what do we learn today? We learned that God leads and guides his people, not through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, but God leads us today through his indwelling Holy Spirit. And he leads us through his indwelling Spirit 
much better than any cloud and any fire ever could. What did we learn today? God will receive glory no matter what happens. He will receive glory in the lives of those who experience grace and mercy. He will also experience glory in the lives of those who experience his just judgment. Now, God would much rather you experience his grace, his mercy. But in the end, understand, nobody is going to stand before God and say, God is mean, God is cruel, God is unjust. Everyone who stands before the judgment seat of Christ will know that he is a just God and a good God. And then third, God will fight for his people. He will protect his people. That doesn't mean that it will always end the way we think or the way we want, but understand God will always fight for us. So what do we do? We don't walk in fear. We walk in faith. What do we do? Sometimes we stand still, we be quiet, we stay calm, and let God fight for us. And then what do we do? After we prayed and God has spoke, we get moving. We do what God's told us to do. All the time praising Him because He is the one who takes us through the deep blue sea and gives us victory. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus, you haven't experienced his grace and mercy in your life, then today I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus. It's as simple as humbling yourself before God, admitting, acknowledging that you need him, trusting Jesus' death on the cross to take your sins away, and surrendering your life to him. When you do that, he saves us, he changes us, he makes us brand new. No, oh, if you're here today and that's what you need to do, I want to invite you right now to pray this prayer. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me for all my sins, all my rebellion, all my failures. I'm tired of living separated from you. I know you love me. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus defeated sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. Today I'm trusting Jesus. Today, Father, I'm giving my life to you. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Thank you for hearing my prayer.